I'll admit, I was kind of expecting when you saw that title up there that you would just be getting an amen already. <laughs> amen. <clears throat> some chuckled. Okay. Well, we're going to pray that the Lord gives us some vision and heart behind this. And in some ways, it seems a little bit counterproductive because if you look over our audience, you would see we only got a handful of men here. But if we really take a look at where the <laughs> The world in the church is today, we'll see that that's pretty common. And I think that we have to remember that sometimes what God's wanting to give us vision for isn't what we're seeing in the moment, but it's something that we want to put our heart to. And I was kind of asking myself the question because we've been going as a as a running theme through these last few messages about family and the importance of it. And just God give us a vision. We start a new year, and I felt like at the beginning when I was praying, Lord, what does this year look like? And I felt like, in a sense, God had given me this desire for the basics. Get back to the basics, but make sure that you you make strong the basics. And so when it comes down to reality, is our families are a basic essential to our growth and our going forward in God's plan and purpose. So if we have a vision for God's ministry, for our community, for the churches, for others to be saved, we're not excluding our families, we're including them in that. Well, here we are, and you might be asking, well, how does this have to do with the family? Because men are a very strategic part of those families. And so what we're seeing is a breakdown of men. We're wondering what's happening to them. Even as men, we're asking ourselves the questions, what's happening to men? What's going on with them? Well, I want to look here in 2 Samuel chapter 23, and I want to read a portion of a chapter that's devoted to just men. But it wasn't just men specifically, because there was, if you actually look into the story of it, I had to look, I wanted to know, I'm like, what is the history behind David's army? What did he have? What was, sometimes when you're reading the Bible, it's hard to get the actual picture of just the the fundamentals there. David had 12 divisions. He had at least one head captain over each one of those divisions. Does anybody know how many he had in each of those divisions? How many army men in these armies? Any any guesses? Yeah, he did. Twenty four thousand per division. Yes. As, uh, somebody else. I I didn't look it up to double check the math, but it was that the, they had it written. He had twenty eight thousand. Uh, no, two hundred and eighty eight thousand um, in all together. So he had a massive army, but this is not his army. This is the elite of his army. And what we want to remember here is that there's a capacity to not just be a man, but to be one of the elite in the army of God, in the men, it's the men of God. And so I just wanted, as a heart toward men, and as I want to give a vision, even if you're a lady in here, I want you to think of men in this light. I want you to put them into this. There's a magnitude that God has to pour out through men. And so we don't want to lose the focus of that. And we want to know, what do we do going forward to reach men and to put them in the place that God wants them to be? So here's a few things that I, I want to read this chapter. And then I want to just take some thoughts that I get out of the chapter. There's a lot that you could glean from it. But here's some focus points for us in this sermon today. But before I do, I just want to take a minute to pray because I believe God wants to do more in this sermon here. Amen? Father, I want to thank you, Lord, today. I believe that this week, Lord, that you are gleaning in my heart, Lord, even speaking to me, 
about what it is from your perspective of to be a man, Lord, and what are the need of men today. And so, Lord, I just want to pray that you would raise, use this sermon today to minister to men. God, minister to men in their place. Minister to men to move beyond, Lord, their own personal struggles. Minister to men to be valiant. Minister to men to be among the most mighty. Lord, the most mighty, not because they're strong, not because they're powerful, but because when, God, you equip a man to be what a man is to be, Lord, there is no end to what that could look like. And, Lord, we are a force to be reckoned with when we have you in our life. And so, Lord, I just pray that this would encourage the men of this church and any man who gets to listen to this message today. Lord, I also want to pray that it would just lift the women, Lord, with a desire for the men. I pray, Lord, with vision for, Lord, what it is, God, when we're praying for men, to pray for them to be mighty. And Lord, to just take from this word, your word, and realize that, God, you decided that in your grand scope of things, that you were going to make sure that there was a portion of this book that was devoted to certain men. And it would just be for men. And so, God, I just pray that we have a portion in our book, Lord, that we say we were just going to focus on men. Lord, we want the, the gravity of what that means and the power of what that means, Lord, as you continue to do that. We pray, Lord, beyond this service, but that you would move men. You would touch men, Lord. God, men that are not here today, but will be in time. Men, Lord, that are going to see their call. They're going to understand what they are living for and what they're fighting for. And Jesus, I praise you, Lord, right now, before we get to see it, that we will see it in Jesus' name for your glory. God, we give you all the praise. Hallelujah. Amen. So here we are. Let's read through this this chapter. I welcome your amens. I love to hear them. It encourages me along. So let's look in verse 8. We're going to read through verse through to 23. These are the names of the mighty men whom David had. I will probably butcher some of these names, but you would do the same too. Joshib, Bashabeth, a and, and I don't know if this is the same in your... Actually, when you read it in different versions, you'll have... Different ways it's said. I don't, I don't know why. A Tachmanite, chief of the captains, who is called Edino the Esnite, because of 800 slain by him in one time. We could just stop there. That's pretty amazing. 801. Yeah. I mean, the only other one we read of in the Bible that, that, that I know of is Samson. And he, ma- he made it to 1,000. Let's see where I was at here. Verse 9. And after him was Eliezer, the son of Dodo, the Ahohite, one of the three mighty men with David, when they defied the Philistines, who were gathered there to battle, and the men of Israel had withdrawn. I want you to remember that part of it, okay? Just remember that they gathered together, and then everybody else withdrew. But he arose, verse 10, and struck the Philistines until his hand was weary and clanged to the sword. And the Lord brought about a great victory that day. Just remember that. The Lord brought about a great victory. The people returned after him only to strip the slain. So all those that left decided, you know what, we're going to go run back and we're going to go get all the spoils. But they weren't included in the actual battle part of it. Now verse 11. Now after him was... Shammah, the son of Agi, the Herahite, and the Philistines were gathered into a troop where there was a plot of ground full of lentils, and the people fled from the Philistines. 
But he took his stand in the midst of the plot, defended it, and struck the Philistines. And the Lord brought about a great victory. There we go. Then three of the thirty chief men went down and came to David in the harvest time to the cave of Adullam, while the troop of the Philistines was camping in the valley of Rephaim. And David was then in the stronghold, while the garrison of the Philistines was there, was then in Bethlehem. And David had a craving and said, Oh, that someone would give me water to drink from the well of Bethlehem, which is by the gate. So the three mighty men broke through the camp of the Philistines and drew water from the well of Bethlehem, which was by the gate, and took it and brought it to David. Nevertheless, he would not drink it, but poured it out to the Lord. I wonder what those guys thought when he did that. We, we just did all of this to get this for you and you poured it out to them. Did they understand what David, that David understood? He wasn't, he wasn't worthy to take even a sip from that cup. Did they catch that? I hope they did, because if they didn't, that would have looked very offensive. I'm gathering that they did. That's just my guess here. And he said, Be it far from me, O Lord, that I should do this. Shall I drink the blood of the men who went in jeopardy of their lives? Therefore he would not drink it. And these things the three mighty men did. 18. Abishai, the brother of Joab, the son of Zerah, was chief of the thirty, and he, was, and he swung his spear against three hundred and killed them, and had a name as well as the three. And he was most honored of the thirty, therefore he became their commander. However, he did not attain to the first three. Verse 20. Then Benaniah, the son of Jehoiada, the son of a valiant man of Kabzeel, who had done mighty deeds, killed the two sons of Ariel of Moab, and he also went down and killed a lion in the middle of a pit on a snowy day, and he killed an Egyptian, an impressive man. Now the Egyptian had a spear in his hand, but he went down to him with a club and snatched the spear from the Egyptian's hand and killed him with his own spear. And these things Benaniah, the son of Jehoiada, did, and his name, as well as the three mighty men, and he was honored among the thirty, he, but he did not attain to the three, and David appointed him over his guard. That's, quite a, that's, that's a lot to take in. These were quite the men. Now, the focus is that each one of them did something that God had given them a gift for. I mean, I can't imagine being able to do any of that Without, I, I've tried to picture in my mind um, just even David after a lion. Here you have another man that goes and slays a lion on a snowy day. Um, there's a lot of stuff that's more difficult just because of the snow in itself. Trying to start your car, I can't imagine what it really looked like to kill a lion. But I, I don't even know how you do that. I mean, we do it with a gun these days. These guys were like... I mean, they were the blunt force of the special forces. I mean, you didn't get any better or bigger than these guys. And, and what you have here is you have your, uh, I think somebody had termed it, you have the um, special forces, the Navy SEALs. You have all the elite of the Army all right here. I mean, you're not just the special forces only. You've got them all right here in this, this chapter. 
And so it's interesting when we read about this, and here's a few things I want to take out. It's when, when we read here in about these mighty men, here's one thought. God anoints the headship of men. When you see these divisions and you see the captains, it says there are captains over many. Some of them were captains. Some of them were just very valiant men. So they fought in the battle. They weren't necessarily the captain or the lead man, but they were great men. And so when you see that, you'll realize that there was headship here. There was order. There was organization. It wasn't just men going out and just haphazardly going and fighting. They knew how to organize, they knew how to assemble, and they knew how to fight as if they were one team. And I think that's what makes the difference oftentimes, because when we read the Bible, we read sometimes it was just few, but they fought together. And I remember this as a church, that we don't have to fight with many all necessarily, but we do have to fight together. We have to have some kind of an assemblance of unity. But when we do, and we recognize unity isn't just unity on its own, it has headship. God ordains headship within unity, and that's powerful. And so here's a few thoughts on that, and here's one of them. First of all, the gifts God gives men will rarely, rarely amount to much if we do not establish headship. And the reason I say that is, is because great gifts are easily perverted by impure hearts. How many of us know of ministries that have fallen, and some of the greatest, some people that were testimonies to us, some of us, that's, they were like our lifeline to come to Jesus. And wow, what happened to them? And so we recognize that headship is important. For one, is it's necessary to instill within us a uh, accountability, and we need that. So here's another scripture in Titus 1, verse 15. To the pure, all things are pure. But to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But both their minds and their consciences are defiled. So we realize we need this protection of purity. If God's going to give men gifts... And he's going to let men be able to minister with those gifts. He has to keep them with pure hearts. So we need a headship as a design for accountability. I need my brother. I need somebody to be able to look in my life and keep me accountable, to keep me in an attitude of godliness, to make sure my heart is pure. I remember I had heard this said a long time ago, and I think it's so true, that your gift will take you where your character can't keep you. We have to be careful that we preserve character so that we preserve the integrity of the gifts of God. If we lose the integrity of heart, the gift goes along with it. We have to remember that. So God's testimony and our own is ruined simply when we are no longer willing to submit to those God ordained to watch over us. Now, sometimes I think we have this. This is an American culture where we live in, and we are all about individuality. Um, personal, you know, we say it, and it's true, but personal relationship with Jesus. But if we, if we look into it, we'll realize that we've advanced into a culture that uh, accentuates individuality and um, undermines the uniqueness of um, the team and being together and the unity of multiple people together. So the body of Christ and the family of God. And so we have this mentality today of, I don't need anybody telling me what to do. I can, I can run this course on my own. If we're not careful... We step outside of the ordained headship that God's given us only to ruin his testimony and ours along with it. So here's a scripture for us. Look in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17. And this is in the New King James Version. So if you look into Hebrews 13, I think this is really important. I cannot emphasize this too much. 
So Hebrews 13, verse 17. Obey those who rule over you, interesting, and be submissive, for they watch out for your souls as those who must give an account. So those who are doing this, or the heads over your life, are having to give an account. Let them do so with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. So he's saying, those that God has ordained to have headship, they have to do it. That's, that's what God has called them to do. And while they're doing it, let them do it with joy and not with grief because of the submissiveness of your heart. And this is profitable for you. So why? Why does God have this kind of order of things? If the godly counsel, now think about this. If, if I'm a godly head, as a pastor, as a minister, if I'm a godly elder in this church, because that's all that a pastor is, is an elder ultimately, just different uh, types of eldership throughout the Bible. But I'm an elder to basically a spiritual overseer. And, hey, Sarah, you need to come up front with mom, please. Sorry about that. A spiritual overseer, and I'm actually... Um, exercising headship properly, I'm not seeking to have dominion or authority or a lordship over you and, and no harm towards you. So I'm looking over your life with this intent to make sure that you're not missing a place or an, an attitude of obedience toward God. So when that happens, I'm just going to step in and, and try and help bring correction in a godly manner. So if that's the truth, if eldership and godly eldership, and that's all we're talking about here, that's all I'm going to focus on, is godly men, if that's the case, then what I want to say is this. If the godly counsel of those who seek to correct ungodly habits is rejected, then the person who's rejecting that, their gifts fall with their rebellion. The gift begins to mold to the rebellion in their own heart. Because why would you have an issue with godly leadership if all they're doing is actually supporting the work of God in your life, it, basically doing what God wanted to, what God Himself wants to do. Now, here's another thought that goes with that: insubordination. So that's a that's a huge word, but that's the idea behind it. There's an insubordination in the attitude of my heart to the godly has criminal intent at its core. So who the, who are we who are we seeing in society that's insubordinate to the headship of the authorities, legal authorities? Most of the time, it's those who have no intention to do actually good in society. So there's a criminal intent in it. And so once we buy into this criminal intent, at its core, this maximizes the evil that a gift can now be used for. So now, this gift that was for God was out of purity in the design that the Lord had it for because now I've perverted my way to the Lord. Now that gift becomes perverted too. And now it's used for that. And so there's lots of times when, it's, even, even Paul said it in Romans. He said, if you who were supposed to be an example now have fallen away, now that actually goes on to God. Now everything that you do is, is a blemish to the character of God because of. So the reason for headship in lives, especially with men, and we don't want to pervert it, we want to buy into it, and we want to lay into this, is because we realize that have godly headship, godly authorities that are looking over my life, not just letting me kind of meander off or go in my own way, even doctrinally trying to help bring things into correction, 
are doing so for the sake of the well-being of the gifts that God has placed within my life. And the ministry is carried forth in purity and good testimony. You want to lose testimony quickly. You want to lose a crowd. You want to destroy a whole church in just one Sunday. All you have to do is let that man get perverted in some way. Let there, some evil come into his life. Let him endorse sin in some moment in his life. And all of a sudden it goes downhill. That's all it takes to bring down the body of Christ these days. And truthfully, even with the mature uh, Christians among us, there's, no, there's hardly a way to wage against that war. So when we look at this, we see headship. When we read in um, 2 Samuel 23, we read of, of not just mighty men, but we read men of headship, men of uh, authority over others. And so I think that that's important. I want to remember these, that, you know, it says the most mighty, and among m- many of them, it was just the maturity. Basically, these men had captured what it means to go to battle. They captured what it means to be men of war and men who could fight the fight. And so they knew how to get in and out. They knew how to, to do this. So they were just training men underneath them. In other words, they were good at this. They were really good at it. And what I see in that is, is that men that end up having headship are just simply men that are trained ahead of us. Men have come to that place before we have. Generally speaking, that's, that's what I see in it. So here's another thought. I believe this is something else that we can glean from 2 Samuel 23, verses 8 through 20. When we read this story is, I just want to say this, don't tame a warrior if you want God to get the glory. So when we read here, we read the story of these men fought the mighty battle and God says that he brought about the victory. He says that the victory was the Lord's. So men that are warriors are not necessarily the easiest to live with, so to speak. But here's some thoughts. God likes to do things through us, not just for us. This is how basically God forms the testimony. Jesus gets the credit. The Lord gets the credit, but he does it through us and not just for us. How many times, and I would would just encourage everybody in this place, when we go to prayer, when we go to pray for somebody, I just want you to take into consideration that maybe this prayer isn't what God's going to do for, but what God's going to do through. Ask the Lord to be able to discipline you. Ask the Lord to be able to work His will through your life. Work in me a way of humility that I've never had before. Help me see that sometimes I feel like I've come to the edge of my ability to do what I can. And Lord, move me beyond just the capacity of just my finite human ways. And so it's not long before you realize that God sometimes is giving you a gift, an insight that you didn't have before a talent in an area, a way of being able to communicate that you've never done before in your life, and now you're doing uh, it remarkably. And so God's doing it through you. And you recognize all of a sudden this change that you were wanting to pray for is happening is because there's been a change that's happened in you. And because of that, it's changed the visual of the environment of other people around you. They're looking at you. You're not a compromiser. You're You're not somebody who just nags me to death. You're not one who spiritually nags me to death. You're just one who, you speak the truth, but you're very careful about how you do it, and you're wise. And for the first time, maybe they're recognizing that in your life, and because they see this wisdom, and they see God advancing through your character, through your personality traits, through the way that you do things, and they're recognizing this change. It's dynamic, it's powerful. And as they do, their view of God is changing because of what they're seeing in you. So oftentimes we're like, Lord, would you just, I mean, especially if we're, we're praying for men, we're praying, Lord, would you reach men? Will you get them where they need to be? And sometimes it's the change in our behavior that will reach a man when nothing else will. I remember I was at work one time 
And I had this, this situation that came up with me and one other guy. And uh, we had a- he was asked on the job site, what do you think we need to do? We were laying sod, and um, we're, there's like chunks of grass. And we were laying sod down, and uh, we were trying to figure out which direction we wanted to now lay the next row. And he said, uh, and he was kind of a lead guy, and so he said, well, we do it this way. And I can't remember which direction, whatever. But anyway, he said, I think we should do it this way. And then somebody else pipes up, and then they start saying, no, I think we should do it this way. And the very guys that had asked him what they thought they should do were the ones who were undoing the things that he just said that he thought they should do. So why ask me if you're going to undo what I just said? And so I remember uh, I had a later conversation with him about this situation. And it's like, so I just want to, and this is how I presented it. I said, I want to be able to be um, respectful to you in the future. Um, how, what was that? Because I could see it bothered him. What was it that bothered you? And, and he spelled it out just plain. He said, my problem is, is that if somebody's going to ask me, basically give me in a place of authority to say, what, what should we do? And then walk off and argue with me about it. I don't like that. And so I was like, you know what? Noted. And I'll remember to respect you in the future. I'll remember to do that. And I don't think I was one of them that was showing, throwing the other opinions out. But I realized that there were times that either I, I was tempted to do so or I hadn't, hadn't thought about it. But this time, I'm going to be thinking about it from now on. But I remember that there was there's dynamics that when I would work on the job site, I would see the attitude of men re- change in an attitude of deeper respect. Not just respect, but deeper respect because of the respect that I had given them. Because of some of the, my attitude or the way that I had uh, demonstrated faithfulness on the job site. And so it was unique to even have shared with the same guy I had shared with him the uniqueness of my wife and I, our relationship and how we came together. She is my first and only girlfriend. I don't know how many of you knew that. And I was her first and only boyfriend. And we've been married for 18 years. Amen. The, what I wanted to say is, is I, I love that. I love that God has made our marriage a testimony. It's like, who gets to do that these days? Who gets to do that? And I certainly, I'm not, it's not like I, I figured it out. Like, this is how you do it. Guy, you know, if somebody were here single and they were saying, hey, pastor, how do you how do you manage to get a relationship that works like that? And I'd be like, I don't have the, this is how it works. I can throw some principles at you, you what you don't do, but I can't tell you to, that you're going to make it work the way it did for us. God just blessed us with that. But what I want to say is that same guy, I remember him starting to tear up. And he was like, just sharing with him. That story of my marriage, he's tearing up and he's like, he's just softening. And he says, I'm just so, that's such an amazing story. And so I'm realizing you don't get to see guys tear up. You know what I mean? You don't get to see this unless they're like, okay, you're one of those guys I can do that in front of. That's number one. And I respect you enough to be able to just be real in front of you. So I thought that was just powerful. And I I saw times like that at work when we're touching men's lives, we're actually touching them to the core of, what they see. What do you see in me? What do you hear from me? Because we butcher it sometimes. We absolutely butcher it by just saying, just letting, letting the flesh come out. You know what I mean? And we're like, well, you know, God forgives us. But so-and-so may, not, may still hold it against you. So we're not necessarily saying uh, you're going to be perfect, but we are saying do your best to be as perfect as you can. Okay, so don't tame a warrior. God likes to do things through us. Men that will yield to God are a force to be reckoned with. I will say that forever. 
you see men, they say 90% that if, generally speaking, 90% if men go to church, the families will go to church. There's something pretty powerful when you get men together and we're assigned together and we're thinking together and we're working together and how we communicate and what we get done. What we get done. Oh, I love I love the teamwork. I love to see things come together. We had projects. You tried to do that project on your own. You might as well spend the rest of the year. But you get a team of 15 to 20 guys together and they're all band together, all doing different things, but all with one purpose to it. And you'll see things change drastically and very quickly. And you'll see these guys, you, you didn't think that they had strength. You didn't know that they could bear it. But then you're beginning to get a real picture. And here's, here's one of mine for you. I had Isaac when he was considerably younger. Now, I couldn't carry him on my back probably now. But when he was considerably younger, I had him, I, I made a bet to him $50. I, I don't do that. But I was like, he's not going to do it. But I wanted to challenge him. I said, if for 50 bucks, if you can... Um, you can carry me on your back, not this age. I can't even remember how old he was. Do you remember? He doesn't remember. He was, he was, I was like, there's no way he's going to do this. From There was probably at least three or four blocks, and he carried me on his back. And that day, I came to one realization. This kid is way stronger than this daddy ever knew. And what I'm realizing is that when we begin to realize the strength that's in inner inside of men, and you put that together, God's going to do some amazing things if we just direct it toward God. So we are a force to be reckoned with, one that no other on earth will be able to do so. Men that are warriors, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. You therefore must endure hardship. This is Paul talking to Timothy. As a good soldier of Jesus Christ, no one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. Ladies, do you see your men that way? This is a soldier. This is a man that's uh, birthed for battle. <laughs> so here's a few things I believe about a warrior. Warriors will sacrifice. You'll see sacrifice in their life. You'll see them making sacrifices that they don't get for themselves because they're making sacrifices for home, for family, for church, for people they love. Warriors tenaciously believes in their cause. They tenaciously believe in that cause. They wouldn't be out on that battlefield if they didn't believe what they were fighting for. You're not going to put a man's life at risk and for him to blink at it and think lightly about what it's about. And they also know the end they're fighting for. They're certain that this one thing, that this is more important. I will fight for this even to death. It's that important to me. When you get a man that can see that clearly, you've got something that's worth living and praying for right there. Here's another thought. I believe warriors, for them, reproach only makes them more passionate. We get people who die off tomorrow because they got reproached or somebody said something, but reproach makes them more passionate. Why? Because they know what they're fighting for. They know what the end goal is. And this is beyond their life, beyond the importance of them personally. So to go along with that, for those who are basically men of warfare, the pain is just fuel for the purpose. <laughs> pain is just fuel for their purpose. You, you make it hard on me, that's just going to fuel me further. So you see, the, you see the Apostle Paul 
demonstrating that as he's talking to them. And he basically, he tells them, uh, you know, death works in us. To suffer is just a fellowship with that man. So every time I fellowship, I'm, I'm suffering, I'm fellowshipping with Christ. This is the way that he views his sufferings and his struggles in life. He doesn't see it as a deterrent for the gospel. He doesn't see it as a problem for ministry. He sees it as an impact. This is a propellant for him to keep going forward. When you get stoned to death and left for dead, and you go back into the city and keep preaching the same gospel that you got stoned for, you know that man believes in his cause. And this man, pain can't hurt him. Pain can't stop his gospel. People fluctuating in opinions about who he is doesn't matter to him at that point because he knows what is value and his own purpose. And men see this. Men realize that, that when they're living for in that sense, they know it's bigger than them. So lastly, I believe this, a warrior, they are willing to die if only to make a small, listen to that, if only to make a small difference in something bigger than themselves. I am willing to die if only to make a small difference in something bigger than me. It doesn't have to be the weight of, you know, I don't have, I'm going to, I'm going to be honest with you. I don't need a big ministry. I don't need a mega church to feel like I'm the man. All I need to know is, is that whatever I did while I'm on this earth, even if it's a small impact in Enterprise, Oregon, if all I did was just a small thing, I made way, headway for the gospel of Christ in a community that somebody else couldn't do it in or somebody else wasn't available for. And I'm grateful for every one of your lives and all your testimonies and what God's been doing and the demonstration of that on a weekly basis. And as you get closer to God, not because of me, I just pray that this, these sermons are just a small propellant in the joy of the Lord for your life. A small propellant in God encouraging you and inspiring you along the way of life. And if God's doing that and in equipping you and strengthening you through that, I feel like I've done my job. I've done what God wanted me to and I would die happily. Die happily today if that's true. If that's true. And that's bigger than me because it lives beyond my lifetime. Lastly, those men who truly give themselves selflessly as if to have nothing to lose are generally named among the most mighty. You, you take a man who kills 800 people and you know this. He went to fighting like he had nothing to lose. That man's not worried about what's... If I die in this battle, that man's... Every stroke of his sword is laying into somebody knowing that he doesn't have to worry about whether he makes it through this battle or not. He's going to give everything he's got. And, and we need to see this more and more. Men feel like they're, they're given everything they got. Here's another thought I believe that we can glean from 2 Samuel 23 in this story, this narrative of these mighty men. God gives profound ability to those men who are truly abandoned to his cause. I, I can say this, if we're men and we, we can't hardly wake up and maybe once a week read our Bibles, this is not you. This is not me. When we see this is that we're abandoned to God's cause thoroughly and fully and God equips us with profound ability. Why would he do it otherwise? If we're, I mean, if this is a couch ministry, why would God do it otherwise? So here we are in First uh, Peter 4 verse 11. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it as of the ability which God supplies. That in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. So he says, 
If any man speaks, let him do it as of the oracles that God gives. God gives the ability to men. This man is profoundly given to God's cause. God's going to liberally give to him. Ask, and it should be given. God gives liberally. If, if, if Man, I'm just going to say this. If we want God's best in our life, we have to give ourselves to it. God wants to. He says if, we, if, if we're going to let the Lord into our life, God's going to give us an ability that will glorify Him, and we just have to keep feeding what God gives to us. We need more of that uh, devotion to the Lord. Kingdom ability has not much to do with mastering skills. I feel like this is so important because when we're talking to men, it's like, what's the skill? What am I got to learn here? And that's not what we're trying to teach here. So, but what are we? So here's a thought. When we read this story, we read a couple times where they're actually in a field and they're left by themselves. So this is my thought here. God will put us men in a field that needs defending for those who will abandon us. And we'll see what you will do with it. God will put us in a field that needs defending with those who will abandon you and see what you will do with that. See, we could run with them. And we could look at the situation and say, this is actually, this is impossible for this to actually. But the reality is, is that for me to do this in my own strength, it won't happen. But God's raising up not just men, but mighty men. And if he's going to raise up mighty men, he needs to know what you're going to do in the field when you're left alone. That's the hard place for a man. That's a hard place for any of us. When you're by yourself, what are you going to do? Are you going to cave in? Are you going to let go? Or are you going to hold on? Are you going to press in? Are you going to fight? And people lose their fight when they're abandoned. Do I get an amen on that one? People lose their fight when they feel abandoned. Even Christians. They quit pressing toward the mark. They quit laying hold of the horns of the altar. They quit seeking God with all their heart because it hurts. Remember I said the pain, but the pain is for the purpose. If you know what the purpose is, then the pain will carry you through because the purpose is more important than the pain. So with those men who will remain faithful when their own hopes are being jeopardized, will develop the ability of the mighty. That's mighty. When you can stand your field while being abandoned and remain faithful, that's might. That's power. That's muscle. That's glory to God. God is at work to make men of principle along with devotion. What we have today, if we're not careful, is a lot of devotion. Jesus said it. He says, outwardly you glorify me with your mouth but your hearts are far from me. So what he wants is men of principle. And when you're standing alone in the field, fighting, defending the field that you know nobody else is going to be a part of, nobody else wants to get in on this with you, and you're going to do it, and you're not going to be angry at those who left you. You're not going to start being bitter and, and start signing uh, them as if they were demonized because they didn't join you in the battle, because they left you alone, because they didn't unite in the cause of God and you stay the course of faithfulness and humility toward the Lord, God does something out of that. And it's not devotion that's protecting you in this moment. It's not me just going to prayer and saying prayers. Now my whole heart is being put on the altar. Everything about me is being put to the test. And this is the struggle of life. 
And when we get to the struggle of life, we need to remain faithful to God in those moments. That's when you become strong. That's when God puts character inside of you. That's when you're able to do things that are exceedingly, abundantly, above all that, that normally men could do. Because God is working in you. God is working in you. If God is going to give us a chapter in our story, in our history, that tells of His glory. I told you this is about the warriors and the men of the warriors. If God's going to give us a, uh, a chapter in our story that tells of His glory, then it will read of men who are yielded to principle when others are committed to preservation. Does that make sense? Men that will yield to principle when others are committed to preservation. And I'm going to say something. i got to say this. I might rub your raw. I don't know, but I'm going to say it. You're not going to have a lot of people walking with you. You're not going to have a lot of people walking with you. There's a good portion of what we call church and the church. They're not wanting that part of Jesus. Jesus died for me, and Jesus died for me to give me the gifts of joy, happiness, and fullness, and and all of this other stuff. In their blog book, there is no such thing as a change in character. There is no such thing as God taking you through the refiner's fire. We might sing it, but we don't believe it sometimes. But when God's taking you through the refining fire, some of the, the dross and the impurities that you're like, oh, I hate this about me. And God's going to bring it to the surface because He's making a vessel. He's making a holy vessel. A vessel that complements His glory. That complements the cross and the sacrifice Jesus made. And you're that vessel. So you like you read this like, well, how many were with them? You know, it doesn't specifically tell you how many abandoned them. But if each division had 24,000 men, and if that one division, just one division, was out there in that battle, and only one man standing out there in that field, that means one out of 24,000 decided to stay the course with God. I wonder in our days to come, and some of the things that haven't happened yet, I wonder what it's going to look like and how many will stand the field when things get even more difficult. Because see, this is the thing. I think layers of difficulty, kind of like Gideon's army, layers of difficulty begin to diminish us. And we get to find out who the remnant is. But I'll tell you what, I believe this. I believe whoever that remnant is, if you're that remnant and you're that one who's standing alone in that field, you extremely love those who've abandoned you still. See, that field and that standing alone doesn't change your heart toward those aren't with you. You understand the temptation that draws them away. You understand how hard it is to stand in that field, but you're going to do it. You're going to be a testimony to them. And by God's grace, you're going to bring them back and reassemble them. Somebody has to stand in the field to bring encouragement to others. The story of David is so remarkable in that way because Goliath is there challenging them. And, and, and they're actually mocking David and, and speaking against David. And David's like, who is this Philistine? And all he basically says is, you know what, I'm going to go fight the Philistine. He doesn't take the battle with the army of, of, of Saul. And when it's all said and done, this army that was standing back in fear is running with David to go conquer. It just takes one David sometimes to reassemble the church, reassemble the people of God. Somebody who's standing in the middle of the battle when everybody else has given up. And I'm not going to say that will be me necessarily. I'm going to say that sometimes it's the least likely among us. You didn't think that they would, they would stand the battle, but they will. You know, I, I think this. One, one day that man was not the most valiant. The next day he is. 
The only difference is, is the battle that he ended up in and how he stayed the course. And so maybe today we're the no name. Tomorrow we'll be the big name. And I don't mean it in, in the way that men seek praise these days. I just mean in God's eyes, we did what he wanted us to do. Okay, then the captain. So in Acts verse, verses 5, 26 through 29, talking about committed to principle over preservation. Then the captain went with the officers and brought them without violence, for they feared the people, lest they should be stoned. So here's the disciples preaching, miracles happening, and here's what's happening. The authorities are trying to figure out how to stop this. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest asked them, saying, Did we not strictly command you not to teach in this name? And look, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood on us, and Peter, he's among the most mighty. You know what I mean? And Peter's already gone through the trial. He's gone through the struggle. Peter and the other apostles answered and said, we ought to obey God rather than men. Okay, this is where the challenge is. This is, this is the man who's standing out. So that's why I believe God's making men of principle and devotion. I mean, we're, we're praying, we're seeking his face, but God's also cultivating principle inside of us. We need a chapter in our life. So lastly... Looking at this, we need a chapter in our lives that just emphasizes the importance of men. You get what I'm saying? I mean, it's not that no, nothing else is important, but we just need a part that we say, okay, we're going to emphasize men. And we need to realize that the reason for the brokenness and ruin of humanity around us is not because God is not sovereign. It's because his sovereign rule will not prosper us when we reject his priorities. So church, I'm going to say this today. Let's make men a priority. Not for my sake, but men as a priority. Think about, dream about, envision what God could do in the future with men, not just in this church, but in the community and the churches in this community with men that are devoted. Listen to this message and think about that. So emphasize the importance of men. I know sometimes we've been hurt by men. I know men have sometimes done things unintentionally because we're a man and we just kind of walk the course like a bull in a china shop. And then somebody got hurt, not intentionally, but that's what happened. And while that happens, realize that it's a man. <laughs> and men just, we, we thoughtlessly go and conquer. That's the reality sometimes. And we're learning to be godly along the way in the path. But we don't, don't, tame, don't tame the warrior. Don't do that. Find a way to do that and envision warriors and men of God that will be praying together. Envision an altar of men. Envision testimonies where the, the men in the church are more in number than the women. And we're like, well, that's not our culture. That's not the way it works today. But that's the way God wants to do it. If we begin to emphasize, and maybe part of the troubles is, I remember there's a ministry. It personally impacted me very powerfully. And the guy said, in our church services, we just oriented the services the way in focus of men. So the way we did ministry, the, the way we preached, everything had a men's focus to it. And somehow the women got on board with that. This... I, didn't, I was like, wow, that's fascinating. I didn't think such a thing could exist. But when we think about that, we think, well, what is it that's minis- mi- missing in the ministry to men? I read an article this week that just dropped me to the floor. And it said this. This was a statistic. So, I, you know, we're looking at statistics. They're not all perfectly accurate, but I'm sure somewhere within the ballpark, right? And they said 10% of ministries that start a men's ministry will actually be able to keep them going. 10% of men ministries actually last. Something is wrong with the situation with men. 
Because we're like, what is going on here? So all I'm going to do is, I'm not going to tell you exactly what you do. I'm going to start tell you, start thinking about it. Start thinking about how do we emphasize men in this chapter of life. Just first of all, start in your own marriages. Start in your own life. Start where there's a man in your life. You know what I mean? In my life, I can do that. This is men are in my life too, right? So here we go and we emphasize that there's men just for this chapter, for this time. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God, for God is not tempted with evil, nor does he tempt any man. But everyone is tempted and drawn away of his own lust and enticed. And when, his desire, when, when these desires are conceived, it brings forth sin, and sin when it's finished brings forth death. What I wanted to bring out in that scripture was that there's an emphasis that it's not God who's restraining his sovereignty or his power because the, the struggles that we're having to bring men into the into the body of Christ, but it's because somehow we we have let in our life the temptations that have barred the God to be able to work in lives of men. And sometimes it's just the outreach. And it's like sometimes we just need to reach to men and spend some time with them. But I'm just saying that there's something missing on our end, not on God's end. When we see an area that needs growth, it's usually, well, it's always on our end in some way. By placing special emphasis on the necessity of men, we are in effect telling God we are committed to his priorities. Second, once we begin to emphasize men, then by God's grace we will prioritize them. It's like that for anything in our life. Once we begin to emphasize something, then we prioritize it. But if we don't emphasize it, we won't prioritize it. A few things I've thought about for men is this. Let's together, church, as we're thinking about ministry meeting, meeting together, those things, praying together. Let's reevaluate the way society and our church culture is undermining men. Just, just re- reevaluate it. And let's stop feeding into it. Let's figure out what it is and stop feeding it. Stop basing the way we treat them on performance and do what we do for them based on their purpose. Oh, I could say that one more time. Okay, I got some smiles back there. Amen for that one. We need to stop treating men based on their performance and do what we do for them based on their purpose. Oh, let's get a vision for guys. Let's get a vision for what God can do through those men. We need to stop expecting men to be at the top of their game when we treat them like they suck at it. That's all there is to it. We just we have that tendency to do those things. Like, I want you to be the best at what you do, but I'm going to tell you all the critical points of how you don't do it well enough. Men don't operate very well under that. And I'll speak for myself under that. We just don't. Find out what is at the core of the way God made men and work it to death. I just had to put that one in there. Just work it to death. You figure out what God intended at the core of his men. Not what men like. Not what pleased them necessarily. Now, I believe there's a little inroad into that. But the, the focus is, what did God create men for? I sat this week and I started thinking, Lord, what is the purpose of men? You know, it's not to just kill things. I had one guy say, and he said to me, he said, men are only good at killing things and I'm not going to mention the other one. That's, that's what he said. And I was like, because... In reality, men are want to be more simple, but if we're going to be good at something, we want to be profoundly good at whatever it is. 
And reality, strike us. Let's figure out what God made men for. Let's figure it out. And I don't think it made them to kill, okay? Or anything else. That's what we are at core, what God built us for. But God built us for something greater than that. And that's why he usually just raises up men for his call. And I want, to, I want, I want as a church, I want, to, I want to get into this. And I know that this is not, ladies, and please hear me. Please hear me on this. This is not to put you on the sidelines. That's not the purpose at all. I think the ladies in this place, I think you could probably say with me, we want to see men too. I I believe there's some women that say we want to see men more than men want to see men. Because we're tired of men falling away, doing whatever they do, and they're not living the way God wanted them to live. Some of you ladies have been praying, and you've been praying, you've been the prayer force behind men in ways that nobody else has, and you've gotten behind that, you Lord, I am I want in the conviction in his life. I want that man to be devoted to you. I want that man surrendered in every way to you. I don't want him living for work the way he thinks he's supposed to be living for work. I don't want that man living for money to supply for me more than he lives for you, Jesus. And you've been praying that. You've been praying it for years and you're ready to see a breakthrough in it. And I value you. I love you for being the one who's birthing that in, in, in holding on in, in the anguish of your heart coming into ways that I don't even know. But I know that it's there. And because it's there, God wants you to stay the course. And I want to get on that course with you. And I want to see what God's going to do this next chapter of our lives. I want to see David at one time, he was, he was just his own army. But now he's got a huge army greater than himself. And I want to see that it's not just me or Will or Mike out there or, or, uh, or Troy. It's... Us, it's more than that. It's that we were we were kind of a lone group at one time, but now God's added to our army and a force of men that could, this community can't reckon with because we're mighty in God. Because Will's going to be standing out that field. Troy's going to stand on the field. Mike's going to be. I'm going to stand out in that field. And we're going to defend that field alone and together. And God's going to do some amazing things as we just move forward. So I'm going to tell you what I want to do. I'm leaving this sermon saying this. I'm going to leave this sermon saying, God, what... Do you want us to do for men? If you guys say it with me and you're like, I want it to happen too. I want to do the same thing. I don't want to do this by myself. No man can carry the vision alone. All I can say is that no man can carry the vision alone. If you want to see God do something, you get behind that vision and I'll be a part of it. And you can even speak into that vision. Sometimes I believe that God sets up a team because he's not giving it all to one person. He's giving it to the team. You're going to get a piece of it. I'm going to get a piece of it. and Somebody else is. We're going to assemble together and we're going to see God putting it together because our hearts are invested in it. And I want to see God do something for men. And there's some great men in my life. I'm just going to say that. They're they're sitting right here in this place and a few of them that aren't. They're great men in my life and I would give everything I own for those men. I love those men. Because they have done something in ministering to my life. And I know that they minister to others as well. So let's pray. I want to give just a simple when the worship team comes up. I would like for them to be able to, as they're worshiping, again, I want this altar to be an altar of vision. I want it to be an altar of vision. Lord, birth in me. Just show me, God, how to get behind this. Even before it's happened, give me vision for men and the cause of men and my man and uh, men that I don't know but they're going to be. Amen. And we just want to give. So if there's something just groaning in your heart, oh, man, I missed it. There's a place you just want to just bring before the Lord. This is an altar of repentance, but it's an altar of vision. Just spend some time before the Lord or in your seats, but 
I just want to give an op- opportunity for you guys to respond to the Lord and let Him have that moment with you, that sweet, awesome moment God has with us.